chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And welcome back, Husky fans. It's uh, signing week. It's the week that everybody looks forward to. It's early Christmas. It's... All the holidays of the year packed into one for those who follow college football recruiting. Uh, this week on Wednesday, all of the commits who are committed to the University of Washington and many of the commits around the country are going to sign their letters of intent with the school of their choice. And they will be locked into those schools for, well, I guess at least a couple months until they decide to transfer, um, which is <laughs> what's been happening a lot lately. But uh, joining me right now is uh, Kim Grinolds and Chris Fetters, guys who've been around Dogman since basically the beginning. Kim was at the very beginning of this. Chris joined Dogman right after, I don't know, how many years had Dogman been going before Chris uh, paid to start start uh, working? <laughs> well, we started Dogman uh, April 1st. Uh, 1997 and did a lot of work before that but Chris you joined in 01 no 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 no. well I mean I joined as a subscriber I think in 97 98 and then I think I took over the day-to-day stuff around yeah around 2000 okay and and I actually became a member in during the 2000 season because I was living down in Oklahoma at the time and so um, that was when I kind of discovered Dog Man, and I was the first recruiting cycle I remember being through was Reggie Williams because I was really following his recruitment and um, all those guys. So, um, but guys, just wanted to, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of new members to our site, a lot of people who don't know the history of Dog Man. So, this is going to be a recruiting podcast, and we're going to get de- delve into a lot of the old recruiting stories that you guys have been through, you and I have been through Chris and and Kim has been involved in a lot of different things. We're not going to talk any basketball. It's going to be all football because football is one is, is the one that's signing on Wednesday, but want to kind of give people an idea of what it was with dogman.com and how it kind of came into existence. Kim, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Dogman started out on Prodigy before? Well, Dave Samick had a website, if you want to call that. It was more of a message board or whatever you want to call it. You know, it was well before the Internet. Back then, you had three services and you basically could belong to AOL, Prodigy, or uh, CompuServe. And uh, Dave had a little bulletin board thing on um, on Prodigy that was kind of a cult underground. And a few people knew about that, but... Uh, yeah, it started out on Prodigy, and then um, Dave uh, took it over to <laughs> Jim Heckman. Started a site called uh, it was actually Super Huskies, and um, we had there was a chat room on that site, real rudimentary chat room, and uh, we talk a lot of football recruiting in that. And so uh, Dave was no longer on Prodigy; he was on the internet, which meant everybody on Prodigy had to dump Prodigy and get over to the internet. And what's kind of funny is um, the um, access I had 
to Prodigy. My password for Prodigy is still a password I use today, which is kind of weird because it was a sign. But um, yeah, moved over to uh, Dave moved over to work with Jim Heckman. And, you know, I was just talking to Dave in the chat room and I said, um, are you making any money doing this? And um, the one the his reply is what started it all. He said, we should have lunch. We have lunch and we talked and um, we decided to uh, branch out on our own. I knew nothing about running Internet stuff. I knew nothing. And then it was myself, Dave and his wife, Moni, Monica Samick. And uh, Moni did all the backbone work and. You know, Dave and I did all the content and, uh, you know, just building up the site. Dave thought I was insane. Hey, hey, Kim, I want to know what made you think that this could be a moneymaker? I mean, because not a lot of people were making money off of stuff like this at that point in time. Well, I just thought that there was an appetite, you know, and I learned long ago, if there's an underserved market somewhere and there's a demand and there's an underserved market, there's always an opportunity. And I saw the passion with Sports Washington Magazine. You know, people would just devour Sports Washington Magazine. They couldn't wait to get it so that they could turn to the back pages and get the recruiting information. The same with Dave, you know, out on Prodigy. You know, I talked to a lot of people who knew about that. They really didn't know how to access it. And it was kind of the underground thing. A lot of people talked about it, but there wasn't a lot of information out there. So, um, you know, when I sat down with Dave, like I said, it was just an off the cuff comment. Have you ever thought about making money doing this? Because um, Heckman was paying Dave 100 bucks a month. That's what Dave was wow. making. 100 bucks a month. So I said, you know, why don't we do this and we can charge 19.95 a year. And uh, he said, nobody will pay for recruiting information. And the day we launched, it just went insane. You know, we started a monster, you know, Um, never my wildest dreams back then would I have thought that we would be as big as we are. We would be doing radio that, um, you know, we'd be on the sidelines that we would have phone numbers and talk to people, the friends that we have, um, you know, and it's still and Chris, you guys get this, too. Uh, Scott, you get it a little bit differently, but when you go out and people know who you are, Scott's problem is, is they think he's a photographer and wants to know if he can do weddings, you know, because there's a Scott Eklund that takes photos. Same spelling, too. Same spelling, too. Yeah, it's really weird because they think you all take wedding pictures. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's just built itself up into a monster, you know, and, um, you know, for the first 10 years, it wasn't really a moneymaker. And, you know, we paid our dues. Yeah. Uh, Now, and you guys started off on Rivals? Well, we started off, Dave and I started off on our own. Just an independent site, but you eventually went to Rivals, correct? Yeah, no. What was funny is when Dave left uh, Hackman and we started our own site, it was almost comical. And I got to, I don't care. We used to push Jim's buttons and it was so easy. I mean, it was so easy to push his buttons and he would just go nuts And um, so we competed really hard for about six months, you know, Jim and us. And Jim was trying to get the network off the ground. And um, we were running into a problem because, I mean, this is early, early, early days of the Internet and server time wasn't cheap. And we worked out a deal with a company to host us where they would host our site for free and in turn we would do advertising for them. Keep in mind this was back when nobody knew what was going on. Everybody was just trying to figure stuff out. 
Um, you know, so it was, you know, learning by, you know, flying by the seat of your pants, basically. And we got a call um, from uh, the company that serves us and said that we were going to have to par- start paying for uh, to host our server. And it was going to be really expensive. They said that we were their largest non-porn traffic site on their servers. Mm. Um and a couple of days after we got that phone call, because Dave and I were scrambling, trying to figure out what we were going to do, Jim Heckman wanted to have a talk with us. And, uh, you know, just we negotiated a deal with Jim and um, it started off um, as uh, I think it started off as the insiders and then it changed to rivals. Rivals went bankrupt and, you know, it's a long story after that, too. Yeah, so there there was a lot of stuff. You were homeless for a little while. You get you ended up on the insiders, uh, they, and then you, that which turned into Scout, and then Scout eventually after I don't know how many years were we on Scout? We were on Scout for a good what six years, seven years? Yeah, Scout got uh, sold to Fox. Yeah. And the best description I heard of what Fox did with the company was they kind of it's like buying a car and setting it out in the backyard and letting it rot because. They really didn't pay any attention to us, and then that eventually went into bankruptcy, and um, then um, out of that bankruptcy, it was bought by uh, 24-7 Sports, who is owned by CBS. Um, Yeah, how many promises did we get from Fox that, oh, yeah, you'll have all these stats, and you can use the highlights and all this, and we never got any of that stuff. Yeah, when we went over to – 24 seven. Um, I, I got to give credit to Shannon Terry. You know, we'd heard a lot of stories about Shannon Terry, but, um, you know, Shannon's one of the best people I've ever dealt with. Not that I had a lot of dealings with him, but when Shannon Terry, who was running the company, um, told me he was going to do something, he did it. And, um, we negotiated a contract with him and, um, uh, we were having, we were struggling coming to an agreement over some issues that were just not acceptable to me in any way, shape or form and wasn't going to happen. And, um, so, uh, Shannon Terry got involved and, uh, he said, I'll make it work for you. So he came back with more than I wanted. And then we signed a contract extension, um, right before COVID hit and, uh, very, very generous to us, uh, then, um, and this is just one more interesting, you know, not to get off the rails a little bit, but um, Shannon resigned from the company a couple of months ago. And it was real interesting. We had a conference call and I had no idea it was coming. Um, but what was interesting was he said he felt that he took the company as far as he could take it with his skill set. And he felt that where the company needed to go and the direction it needed to go, he didn't have the skill set to take it there. And he was going to hand it over to somebody who had the tools and had the ability. And that's what I always say Larry Scott should do. I don't think Larry Scott's got the ability or the tools to take the conference to the next level. And he should step aside and uh, hand it over. And next time we have a press conference with Larry Scott, I'm going to flat out ask him if he's got the tools to take it to the next level. And he'll probably ban me or something. But uh, anyways, yeah, that's <laughs> That's what happened. So, so we, so everything gets kind of crazy in scout. The, the, the chat. You're, you're talking about chat rooms when you guys were first starting out, and um, I'd love to hear about those because, like I said, I didn't become a member of the site until uh, 2000, and I didn't start writing until Gilby's first full season as the head coach. I know he took over right before the start of the season in uh, what was it? Oh, oh two. And then 03, I think, was his one year that he actually had. 
And that's when I really started writing for you guys. But um, I remember the chat rooms as we got, you know, when um, Austin Superior Jenkins and Shaq Thompson and those guys, and we had like 1,500 people in the chat room. And the chat room was open all day this this week. Uh, it was, you know, it, but it was in February because they, they only had the regular signing day. But when you guys had your chat room, what would you guys have? Maybe 50 to 100 people? And yeah. Yeah, sharing easy, stuff. yeah, easily. You know, and this is when chat rooms were a big thing. They're not so much anymore. It's just they've just become a thing of the past. But the most insane the chat room ever was, the most insane it ever was, was um, when um, Jim Lambright was uh, fired and um, they were looking for a new coach. And it was on a Saturday morning and it was about 10 o'clock. And there was probably a couple hundred people in the chat room at that time. And I, that that was a lot of people for back then. Yeah. Um, I got a phone call and, um, from, uh, I'm not going to give up the source, but I got a phone call and go, you got to remember how big a name this guy was back then. They said, Kim, Barbara Hedge has just extended a contract offer to Rick Neuheisel. And Rick was the hottest coach you could possibly imagine back then. I mean, he was, I mean, uh, hearing that name would be the equivalent of hearing Urban Meyer right now. That's how big of a deal it was. The biggest thing on that, so I started making some phone calls. And um, Barbara Hedges was really, really concerned about how this was going to play out because they offered Rick a million dollars a year. (laughs) <laughs> which was huge money back then, huge money, you know, but um, I just remember typing in the chat room and I said, you know, I just got a great tip. And I said, you guys aren't going to believe who Barbara made a contract offer to. And and then I waited, you know, for about three or four minutes. And it was just like watching the screen scroll with people going crazy, wanting to know who it was, because back then information just it didn't flow like it does today. And I put in Rick Neuheisel and oh, my God, it was like a bomb dropped. It was like a bomb dropped. And Mm -hmm. uh, no, that was crazy. And whether you like Rick or not, but at the time he was hired, it was huge. It was gigantic. There wasn't a bigger name that they could have hired than Rick Neuheisel. I was pretty I was pretty excited. And I I wasn't even on the Internet at that point in time. I I I think I barely had email at that point. So. Um, just a lot of, a lot of changes, Chris. Now, um, what were you doing, um, when you started as a member of the site? What were were you, is that when you were working back in Walla Walla? Yeah, I was still in Walla Walla. I was working at what place? A record store and a record shop, I guess, and a Wi-Fi shop called, um, Hi-Fi shop, I guess I should say called Hot Poop. (laughs) And, uh, it, uh, I had worked there for a few years and, that was I when had, you were in college, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, basically, you had, you know, over time, had met a bunch of people in town, um, including the former mayor of Walla Walla, a guy named Bill Fleener. And Bill hooked me up with the guys at Dogman and said, if you're a Washington fan, because, you know, back in Walla Walla, there's not too many Washington fans lying around. Um, he goes, if, you, if you've been following Washington, if you've been going to games, which I had since 75, 
you know, this, this is the place you need to go because this is, this is the spot where all the, all the infos drop. And I, I remember specifically, I know exactly where I was when Rick Neuheisel was hired. I saw the blurb on ESPN and I was at the Green Lantern Tavern because it, it, it happened at night. I do remember that. And, um, was pretty shocked, but yeah, so basically I, I got on the board, started, you know, spewing some things and apparently word came down that I might know a thing or two. I, I don't know how, but uh, apparently that's the case. And um, got a call. Um, I don't know how Kim and Dave, I think probably through Bill, they, they contacted me and uh, invited me down to a Nike combine, which, of course, I didn't know what that was. Um, I knew a lot about football, but I didn't know how players got to college. I didn't know anything about that. Um, I had gotten quote unquote recruited to play golf at Whitman, but that was basically the golf coach coming and playing around of golf with me. That was it. That was my, that was my initiation to the idea of college recruiting. So, um, yeah, so we, so I went, I went down there on a whim and it was at the old Multnomah by the old Multnomah athletic club, the, whatever they call it now, PG park or whatever it is. And, um, I remember, you know, watching them go through their things and being pretty fascinated by it all. Um, I remember having lunch at Stanich's with the Dogman guys and Spencer Morona and his family. Um, so that was really cool, kind of getting at, you know, to be able to put a face and a name and kind of see the behind the scenes, the human element to it all. And then I remember going, can I, can I mention the name of the scout, Kim? No. Okay. <laughs> no. He's no longer with us, rest in peace. But he still runs the program. He's, he's... I, I figured I'd ask. But so, anyways, <laughs> we went to a, a, a pretty well-known scout at the time, uh, college and pro, and he was living outside of Portland at the time. And um, I we ba- I basically just kind of sat at his knee for like an hour or so. Uh, we watched some tapes, and he kind of showed me some some stuff, just stuff to look out for, and all that. Next thing I know, I'm back in the car, headed back to Portland to get to my car, and I'm handed a list of names and phone numbers and addresses, and they're like, Kim's like, basically, okay, well, here's the list. If you screw it up, we know where you live. Um, Your ass is ours. So I said, okay. Um, So I went back to Walla Walla, and I started making phone calls to recruits that were looking at And that's when kids liked getting phone calls. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the irony of it all was um, the first, I remember the very, very first kid I ever called wasn't a high school player. He happened to be a Juco player by the name of Chris Cash, defensive back who eventually ended up signing with USC. And uh, I remember that was the first story that I wrote. And so that would have been 97 ish, 98. And then uh, we've, we've, we've moved on obviously to today. Yeah, and and uh, now and then I began with you guys. I remember hitting up uh, you, Chris because you were the one who I always read, uh, you know, all your stories and stuff. I remember hitting up you and said I was interested in coming and writing for Dogman, and I was I was on the Seahawks site on the Insiders uh, called Seahawks.net at the time, and I was writing. How, for how long them. did I blow you off for? You didn't. You didn't. Oh. You got right back to me, and yeah. you said um, I'm not the one to talk to. You need to talk to Kim. Who and Kim, I, I know we make jokes about that. I didn't know you were a guy. And so 
you 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 sent me and at that point you didn't have a picture of you with the huge football that you had uh as your avatar uh for a while so um he said get a hold of kim and see see what 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 i don't even think you said he says or maybe i've glossed over it whatever it was um and then kim i i hit up kim and kim said hey come down to practice meet us down at practice beforehand and We'll just talk at, at practice while practice is going on. And this is uh, Gilby's Gilby's year. Um, and so I'm, I'm waiting outside and I'm waiting to meet a woman. And it's Kim that comes walking up to me and starts talking to me. And I'm, oh, you're Kim Grinolds? And he goes, yeah. So we, we went up in the stands and I just started writing for you guys pretty quickly after that. But I was only covering um, the the practices. I wasn't I wasn't covering uh, recruiting. That was still solely your your duty. And I didn't really kick in with recruiting, I think for another year or two, um, because you, you were like, okay, I'm going to hand part of this off to Scott, let him kind of do some of the day-to-day stuff and I'll cover the recruiting aspect of it. And then we've kind of flipped since then. But, um, what I want to do is I want to take a break now, uh, let our, get a word from our sponsors. And then when we get back, we're going to get into some of the old recruiting stories and boy, are there some good ones. Um, and when we get back, we'll talk about that. You're listening to the guys from dogman.com on Dogman Radio. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. And welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening and tuning in. Uh, We're just catching up on a lot of the old recruiting stories here with Kim Grinolds and Chris Fetters, guys who've been doing Dogman for over 20, about almost 25 years, almost a quarter of a century, guys. Can you believe it? I mean, Kim, you were what, 37 when you took the 38 when you started this? I was married with two kids doing real estate 80 hours a week in Dogman. Uh, it's all a blur to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, Chris, and Chris, you were in your what, late 20s at the time? Mm, like no, 30, like right about 30. Early, early 30s. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm two years younger than you. I'll be 50 this, I'll be 50 in about three months. So, um, yeah, we're, we've been doing this for a while. I'm on your number 18 myself. So, Hard to believe it's been around this long. Let's get into some of the old recruiting stories. The one that I remember that was kind of the craziest one, and he kind of was part and parcel for the way Rick Neuheisel ran uh, recruiting, was Lorenzo Booker, the running back. He was a Southern California running back, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a L.A. kid and um, highly, highly coveted. Everybody wanted him, and um Electric, electric, uh, you know, and I hate to throw comparisons around, but uh, he had that wiggle and the shake that uh, Napoleon Kaufman had. had See, a nice I would have coat- compared him a little bit to Reggie Bush a little bit. Is that yes. a bad comparison? No, I mean, just you just don't get running backs with that kind yeah. of wiggle and shake and speed that often. I mean, I don't see one. I haven't seen one of the Pac-10 for a while or Pac-12 in a while, but uh, he was a special talent. So, so Chris, did now were you the ones who did m- most of the recruiting stuff with Lorenzo? I believe so, but I think 
you know, our policy and Kim can back me up on this is that basically at that time with the super, super high profile kids, because I think with Booker, wasn't there another St. Bonaventure kid? Um, was it Whitney Lewis was also pretty highly rated so. yeah. at the time. So basically we were, we've always told these kids that we're not going to hound them. I mean, there's no reason to hound them. They're getting called in every different direction by every coach in the country. Every media guy in the country wants a piece of them. We're not going to do that. We just, we just want them to know that when we do call, they understand that it's important and that, and that we just need them for five minutes to get the latest and then we're done and we won't bother them again for a long time because everyone else has got their story to tell too. Um, so we tried to do that as much as possible. And, and Lorenzo was such a big time guy. I mean, it, he was going to announce on TV. That just didn't happen back then. I yeah. Mean, and and, and, and there had happen. been stories, there had been stories like people had, you know, talked about, you know, how they had, had tried to get interviews with Lorenzo by saying if they didn't get an interview with him, they were going to lose their jobs um, just, just really crazy stuff. Yeah. And, people who actually own their own website would say that. Well, I'm just, I'm not <laughs> casting, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm just saying what, uh, what, what I understood to be true at the time. And these, these are just not things that we would have ever done, but at the same time, it, it was very important that we try to get as much information from him as we could. And we were very fortunate because we had a lot of great sources on all sides of, of the particular story at the time. And, um, you know, so we had we had learned the morning that he was going to make his decision, and I and I believe was it the day of signing day or the day before? Day of. Uh, day so of. Yeah. The day of. And and I believe. And, the, the, and the, I'm sorry, Chris. This is for those who don't know and who maybe just started covering or following recruiting real closely. Back when we're referring to, they only had one signing day. That was the first Wednesday of February. And so that's what Chris is referring to. Sorry, right. Well, Chris. it would have been, it's the same as it is now. It would have been the first day of the normal signing period. Yeah. There was no such thing as an early signing period, for instance, but it was the first Wednesday in February was always the first day of the signing period that would usually go into like mid April, for instance, but no one would ever typically take it that far. Now you would have some, like I remember, I think Eric Lorig was probably the most famous example back in the day, a kid, a tight end from Southern California who ended up signing with Stanford, who literally was, people were waiting for days and weeks and months for yep, this kid. To I remember that one. Yep. And he never, he just never did. He just ended up signing a scholarship paper with Stanford and that was it. So, yeah. but so Lorenzo Booker said to make his decision and, and the word had come out early in the morning and, I think was it Softy was involved in this too because I think he had gone on air and he was saying that he had heard Lorenzo Booker was going to sign with Notre Dame. Well, Lorenzo and, was all set to sign with Notre Dame when he was in the studio and there was some weird stuff happening and I'm not going to tell you who called Softy but let's just say let's just say Softy's source was really 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 good and yeah. uh, it was somebody that was pissed off that he was going to Notre Dame and it leaked out and. He went on TV and he was really confused and uh, went on and shocked everybody by choosing Florida State. And the backstory that came out was that Bobby Bowden at the time had put together or their staff had put together a highlight clip for like VHS tape, which was which is what everyone was dealing with back in the time. They had put together a VHS tape of like Warwick Dunn clips and all these guys that, that he had, that Lorenzo Booker had talked about being kind of his idols growing up. And they FedExed, FedExed it to him like overnight. 
And apparently that was like one of the things that really turned Booker toward Florida State as opposed to Notre Dame. Yeah, so and and then that that was kind of the biggest that I remember was one of the biggest meltdowns. Now, another big high profile recruiting thing that happened. And when when was Booker's uh recruitment? Was that 2000? The 2000 class. I have no idea. It's okay. right. It's got to be right around there. Yeah, because I I remember the highest profile guy in the 2001 class for Washington was a local guy, a wide receiver by the name of Reggie Williams. And I remember I was at, I was, I had just uh, moved back from Oklahoma. I had lived there for about three, four months, came back, um, was kind of just in between jobs, living, living on, you know, sleeping at different friends' houses um, on couches and just trying to find a job when I came back and everything like that. And I remember I, it was the only thing I could really do. And so I would, I would just surf and, and, you know, follow the recruiting stuff. And I remember Reggie was down to, wasn't he down to like Michigan and Washington and Miami or something like that? I think UCLA was in there. Okay. But it was I mean, he had, Michigan and Washington. he, he could have gone anywhere in the country, right? I mean, everybody oh, yeah. wanted him. He was, what, what was he? Six, three, 190 pounds and ran, ran a sub four, five forty. Um, and just was an unbelievable player. And I remember talking with some, I was at a, I was at a church group and earlier that day we had found out that Reggie Williams had chosen the university of Washington. And when you're in the, and when in, we're in this church group and it was, it was a men's church group and they, they were asking about any cool things that happened that were answers to prayer or anything like that. And I said, well, I said, Reggie Williams signed with UW. Is that, does that count? <laughs> and, and People looked at me like I was an alien, but I was praying that Reggie Williams is going to sign with Washington. But what do you remember about his recruitment? Um, did, what, tell me about the first time you actually saw him, Chris. Well, no, I was still living in Walla Walla at the time. Okay, okay. So I didn't get over as much as I did for that particular class. Now I was, it was in. I had moved over to Seattle by that summer, so I was actually still in Walla Walla the night that he went on TV to announce. So more than anything, I remember that day as being super, super chaotic. Um, because I think the word had leaked out earlier, maybe the day before or the night before, that Washington was in a really good spot for him. And Kim, you'll have to remind me, but did his was it his, was it his mom or his dad who showed up for work and I think it was his mom showed right. up for work with a Michigan shirt on. It was his mom, yeah. And is and everyone absolutely went berserk. I mean, they just thought, uh oh, it's over. Why would Did his she mom, do that on purpose? I, I never talked to her, so I don't know. Um but oh. I just remember that that turned everything around like it was like it went from you know you're feeling good you're feeling good to now all of a sudden that happens and everyone is questioning what you know how you found out how good was your source what the hell are you talking about and so then when he went on what would it have been would it have been fox sports northwest or i can't remember what the station was at the time but, yeah um yeah. You know, he went on he went on the air and then picked Washington from from Michigan. I, th I want to say UCLA was a finalist, but when he when he put on the Washington hat, obviously that was a great 
validation for all of us that we we were pretty confident in what we had been hearing was that when we started to figure out the the old tried and true that if they're announcing on local tv it's very likely to be the hometown school well he was the first one that i was aware of i don't know if kim you guys had dealt with earlier players in other classes like late lambo classes um or rick's first class but that was that was the first time that it really dawned on me i mean i only had one real true experience in dealing with those things personally. And that was the night that Lodrick and Roderick Stewart, the basketball players from Rainier beach committed to USC. And I happened to be in the studios uh, on the East side uh, waiting to, for their announcement. I was actually there ready to report on it. And uh, that was the only time I had actually dealt with something in studio like that. But um, Reggie was definitely the first one I remember in terms of actually watching and wondering how this particular little hat dance was going to go. Uh, Kim, one of the ones that I want to talk to you about, because you're the one that got the call, was on Christmas Day. Talk us through what happened on Christmas Day. I think it would have been 2002. I think it was Christmas Day 2002 because he signed with 2003 class. Yeah, I mean, it was Christmas morning, uh, kids opening up Christmas presents, and uh, I was I, t- I still to this day torment my kids, so I was tormenting my kids, and my cell phone rang. And um, This was really before texts really yeah, happened very much. No, my, I mean, I'm in real estate. I mean, you know, my phone's going off all the time, you know, and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day, and my cell phone rings, and I look down at the caller ID, and I'm going... Why is he calling me? I'm like, it was a coach. And I'm going, it's Christmas Day. Why is a coach calling me? And um, I answer the phone. I go, what's up, coach? And all I heard was, Merry Christmas, CJ Wallace. They hung up. They hung up. (laughs) What the hell? Okay, so let me call CJ. What's going on? And I called CJ, and CJ is one of my favorite all-time kids. Um, I'm trying to remember the high school he was out of. Um, he was an LA guy. But, he, would, no, um, he was from he was from um, the same school as Shaq Thompson, uh, Grant in Sacramento. Yeah, Grant, Sacramento. Yep. Yeah, Sacramento. Yeah. And I just called uh, CJ. I go, Hey, CJ, it's Kim. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, anything up? And you can hear the whole family he goes. I just committed to UW. I'm gonna be a dog, and it was pretty crazy. And so, you know, we wrote that story up real quick and we ran it, um, you know, online and um, there were some people pissed off at us. How dare you ruin a recruit's Christmas Yeah, it's just because they didn't have the scoop. But yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Exactly. Yeah, but, you know, it's just C.J. Wallace, Merry Christmas. And I got it. I got hung up on. <laughs> it was pretty yeah. funny. Now, I, now, a guy who's currently on the roster uh, that sent us all three scrambling on Christmas Eve was a guy by the name of Keith Taylor, who um, was at uh, the uh, school in Anaheim, uh, um, Servite. And he was a, a big time kid, um, one of the top corners for that class, uh, for his class. And I remember I was at a Christmas Eve event. This is before I had kids and everything like that. But I was at a Christmas Eve event with my wife at somebody's house that we were. This is when we could actually see other people that we weren't quarantining with. And um, I was I was there. And Kim, I think you were doing something with uh, your kids. I don't even remember. Yeah. And Chris, you were probably at your mom's house or your dad's house. 
I would imagine so yeah. at the time. Yeah. And the three of us are all texting each other like, um, somebody just committed. Uh, what's going on? And so we finally figured out that it was Keith Taylor, and it was it was just it was insane because none of it. I didn't bring my laptop with me. Um, you guys didn't have your laptops or whatever. And Kim, even if you did have your laptop, you weren't going to be able to write it up. And you would freely admit that that isn't me making fun of you. Right. No, so, I, yeah. <laughs> so I remember just like texting a coach, texting coaches, texting, uh, texting people that we knew that could at least confirm because they can't really tell us about kids, but they can confirm that someone committed. And uh, yeah, it, that one sent us all into a spin for a little while. I think Brandon Huffman was the one who had a phone number or it was, it was either him or Greg Biggins. And, and I remember calling Keith that night, got a hold of him and posted a story on it. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty crazy one. There was also the one with um, people might not remember the Scott Sugart. Um, he was a lineman out of, wasn't he or Oregon city? I think he was Oregon city somewhere high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was somewhere down there. And, and, he committed. I was on the road coming back from Seahawks training camp in Cheney. I was dr- doing about 85 on I-90 on my drive home when I found out that he had committed. And Chris, you were at a, I think you were at your high school reunion and Kim was probably out at some, uh, you know what, Kim, I think that was when you were actually out at, um, out in Walla Walla golfing on your big golf trip that you do at the end of summer. Um, I think that's what you were doing. So that was when we started to figure out that if all three of us are out doing something, that's the likely time when something is going to break. Yeah, it's just um, you had to remind me about Sugar because I didn't yeah. remember that at all. The one I remember and kind of the first time it kind of dawned on me that it was going to be Murphy's Law. Like if, if, if something like that was going to happen, it was just – you just there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it as I remember I think it was for it was late in the 2001 cycle for 2002 so it would have been probably December of 2001 or January of 2002 Um, I had gotten pretty burned out and I needed a bit of a break and so I remember calling Kim and said Kim you know I I think I'm going to go cover the Washington Washington State basketball game in Pullman um and I think, you know, it was just one of those things where I just needed to get out, get in the car, take a drive, go do something else, clear my head because there was so much going on with recruiting. And, um, and, and clearly there was because in the time between going to Pullman, covering the game, and then coming back to Seattle, Washington had gotten three commits that day. Um, and so that's where I kind of realized that, you just can't get out of it. It's just whatever happens, you think you're going to take a break from something. That's when stuff's going to happen. And um, it, it certainly did that day. I remember Marcus O'Keefe, for some reason, the, the kid who eventually signed with California was one of those kids who had committed to Washington actually, but obviously changed his mind later. Um, I don't remember who the other two guys were. I just remember it was like when it went, you know, when it rains, it pours. And uh, that was the first time I really, really got hit with that pretty hard. Well, it's pretty crazy because back, back in the day, um, keep in mind, back when Tyrone was hired, the policy at the newspapers was that they had to have authorization um, to break news and have stories on the Internet before it was in the paper. 
So that wasn't really that long ago. But back in the day when we were covering recruiting, we knew what time the deadlines for the paper was. We knew when they were. So we would ha- we would sit on commitments until after the deadline. We'd have them in the afternoon and we would break them late at night because then we would have the whole that evening and the whole next day's news cycle because the newspapers just weren't quite up on how the Internet worked back then. So um, that's just the way things worked back then. And then it's evolved to now uh, kids break their own commitments 99 times out of 100. Yeah, that's and and I remember the Shaq Thompson one was when we had like 1500 in that chat room and Shaq Thompson just just uh, dropped on Twitter that he was going to be a dog and he didn't talk to anybody, didn't talk to any of the national guys like Huffman or Biggins or any of those guys didn't talk to any of us, didn't talk to any of the other people who try to cover recruiting for the University of Washington, but don't do that good of a job. So, you know, they they just no, he didn't talk to anybody until like I think like it was a month after signing day is when he finally talked to somebody. And it was because we ran into him at a camp. And so, um, yeah, it was just a, the insanity of commits and the way things happen is just always fun. So yeah, I, I wanted to say, cause oh. Kim talked about when new Heisel was hired as kind of the break yeah. chat room moment to me, when Shaq Thompson announced to me, that was the break, the chat room moment for me. That yeah. was when it was like, that was a whole different level because that had been the culmination of Tosh Lapoy and all that was going on. Everyone was really excited and on edge because they could feel something big was going to come. And obviously Lupoy had come with a big reputation as a recruiter. And then when that, when that news dropped, um, yeah, it was like dropping a bomb. Yeah. And just, um, Hey Scott, you brought up yeah. chat. Now we're going to get inundated with people asking when chat's coming back. Um, chat not, is not coming back. It's, guys. Not. it's, it's never just, coming back. No, so, just, you know, as much as I would love to have it back, especially for this week, it's not coming back, so don't bother asking. There is no will or desire from those at the network to bring it back. And, you know, with a lot of the stuff that we're able to do because of the network, there's things that we're not able to do because of the network. And there is no will from anybody at the network to bring back chat. So yeah. it won't happen. Let it go. Yeah. All right. We're, we're going to take one more break uh, for our sponsors, and when we get back, we're going to wrap it up and talk a little bit about uh, some of the banquets that Dogman hosted and the breakfast that we hosted on signing day for two straight years uh, when we get back. Thanks for listening to the guys from Dogman.com here on Dogman Radio. All right, and welcome back. We are in our last segment here and going to wrap things up here in a few minutes, but uh, wanted to also talk about now this is going to be where um, I kind of share a couple stories that I heard instead of asking you guys, but you guys are welcome to chime in on these. I remember um, being at, uh, I was at a Taylor Barton uh, passing camp at uh, the University of Washington, and I was on the I was on the sidelines watching camp and and looking at different quarterbacks and things like that. And all of a sudden, I see Tim Lapano standing over um, on the sidelines, and I just wandered over and said, "Hey, coach, congratulations on the signing class and everything like that." He was out there watching his sons, who are actually pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, players up at East Lake High School up on the on the plateau. And uh, and he said, "Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it." And I remember just saying, hey, things got a little hectic there with uh, Jake Locker toward the end. And he goes, dude, don't even talk to me about that. Um, I literally almost lost my lost my lunch on that one. And I said, what happened? So he told me the story. 
And they had Locker. They get. I, I don't know if you guys remember. Locker had been at, down at Oregon State, and he called the coaches on his way home, and said, "Hey, coaches, I'm gonna commit to the University of Washington." And that was all he did. He didn't. He didn't talk to anybody. Didn't do any interviews or anything like that. And we just found out through different ways. And I think uh, maybe Kim, you got confirmation from Scott uh, Scott Locker because you had a pretty good relationship with him. That that Jake had committed. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, I mean, Jake wasn't the most. He didn't like talker, to talk a lot. Yeah. yeah. No, he does, and he still doesn't. Still yeah. not a big talker. Doesn't just wants to go about his business, live his life, and and be who he is. And and that's great. That it's know who you are, know thyself, kind of thing. But um, I remember, uh, I think it was USC and Texas both came on really late with offers to Locker, and a lot of people were concerned that Locker was going to flip to one of those schools, but both of them wanted Locker as a safety, not as a quarterback. Although Texas told him that he could try quarterback, and if he made it as a quarterback, they'd be happy to have him. And Lapano told me, he said, I basically the whole family went dark. He couldn't get a hold of Scott Locker, couldn't get a hold of Scott's wife, couldn't get a hold of Jake, couldn't get a hold of Jake's girlfriend, couldn't get a hold of Jake's coach, couldn't get a hold of anybody for three days he was not able to get a hold of that family or anybody even close to him and the people he did get a hold of didn't know where they were and so he said i remember laying i had to be in the office at five in the morning because that's when you guys remember the faxes how they had the fax cam oh yeah sponsored by alaska airlines yeah now granted that that wasn't when locker was doing his thing because that the fax cam didn't come in until sark but um, he had to be in there at five o'clock because that's when kids could start faxing in, in letters and things like that. And he said, I had to be in the office at, at five o'clock. So that means I needed to get up about four to get a shower and get on the road by about 4.30. And he said, um, it was 2.30 in the morning and I'm laying there trying to remember my real estate agent's phone number. Because if I didn't sign Jake Locker, I might as well just start polishing up my resume. <laughs> selling my house and it was it was one of the rawest moments I've ever heard from a coach because usually these coaches wouldn't you say I mean even the worst coaches exude confidence don't they guys yeah yeah I mean that's just who they are that's their personality they're gonna exude confidence in everything they do and all that so but this was a very raw moment and he just said it was over for me as the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach if I didn't get Jake Locker signed. <laughs> so he goes, and I didn't know until it was eight in the morning when they got his fax. And he said, I didn't know until eight o'clock what happened. And so finally he was able to get a hold of Jake. And apparently the family had basically turned off all of their social, aren't, there wasn't really social media back then. They had turned off all their cell phones. They had turned off all their computers. They went up to the family cabin up at Mount Baker and basically were up there for a week. And didn't talk to anybody. And Scott Locker just said, "I we, we didn't want anybody talking to us. We just wanted to enjoy this moment as a family and and who he was." And I I mean, isn't that so, Jake and Scott Locker? Yeah. That, I mean, that's who <laughs> that family was. No, it's very they're very down to earth and yeah. they're they're just they're kind of no nonsense about it. And that's where you know knowing Jake and his family in hindsight. For sure. I mean, we got to know him pretty well during the process, but, you know, knowing them more even now, 
when he made his commitment, it, it, it was solid gold. You know, it's just like when he went uh, into into Sark's office and um, with his dog and just said, "Hey, I'm coming back." And just it was that simple. It, his there dog, was, whose was name no, was Ten, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but there was no deliberation. There was no, you know, press conference. There was no media statement. There was nothing. It was just he goes in, tells the people that need to know what he's going to do. End of story. That's all you need to know. And, and Chris, I had forgotten about that until you just reminded me. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, but him. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Um, I sh- before we go into the banquet thing, I should probably uh, tell the the story that really indoctrinated me to this whole recruiting process. And um, you know, even though Rick's still around and he, and he talks to the guys in KJ and stuff, I I feel pretty good about telling this story because it's uh it's more of an own on me. It's more of Rick punking me. Uh, at a very early time when I was uh, recruiting. Um, so this would have been back in the 2000 class, if I remember correctly. Um, I have to go back and double check for sure. But I believe this was this was a player that was in the 2000 class. So this would have been the very first class that I really would have covered. And it, was a, it, it, it wasn't a high-profile guy because they had some high-profile guys. In that class, Dan Dix from Bellevue was pretty high profile. Uh, Terry Johnson, Tank Johnson. Um, you know, we had some other local kids like Jimmy Newell, Grady Sizemore, who obviously went pro in baseball. Zach Tuyasasopo. Uh, you had the Helena Hitman, Greg Carruthers, uh, Marquise Cooper, rest in peace. You know, you had some real some real good players in that in that class. Rock Alexander, for instance. But uh, the guy that I was uh, in charge of recruiting late in the process and following him was a kid by the name of Khalif Barnes. Um, this is a kid from the San Diego area who really came onto the radar late. Uh, Kim can remind me, but I think the only other scholarship offer for football that he had was Nevada. And I think he was going to take it until Washington came in really late with a football offer. I think he had gotten offered for track by Notre Dame he was a he was a phenomenal athlete. I mean, he was six four, six five, two forty, I think at the time. Um, really good lineman in terms of his feet. Good athlete, but we didn't. But no one knew anything about him. So he came on our radar real late, and I ended up talking to Khalif a couple times first to find out that the offer was legit, to find out about his official visit to Washington, which he took, and then right after his official visit to Washington, like a couple days later. He was visited by Rick Neuheisel and Carl Durrell at his home with his family. So we, we got we got wind of it when when the, the, the meeting was going to happen. And we felt pretty good that he was probably going to commit because he only had the Nevada offer. It felt like all the pieces were in place for this thing to happen. So I was so it was up to me. I was on top of it. I was the guy who was doing it. And back then I recorded all these conversations to make sure that I could get the quotes accurately and whatnot. And you let everyone know, Hey, I'm, I'm recording you, letting it, letting you know. So I call up the family and Khalif's mom answers the phone and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in the middle of it. Um, we're having a great meeting right now, but, um, is there any way you can give us a call back when, when the meeting's over? And I said, of course, you know, absolutely. When, when do you think that would be? Um, and she goes, yeah, probably about nine ish. I think they should be done for sure by then I said, perfect. So, you know, we're all on the West Coast, so no, no time change problems or anything like that. So I wait until 9 o'clock, pick up the phone, 
call up Khalif again. And it's his mom. She picks up the phone again and she knows that I'm because I told her I'll, I'll call you at nine and everything's good. And um, she answered the phone and she's like, um, yeah, um, hold, hold on just a second. You can kind of hear a little bit of rumbling in the background. And she's like, yeah, hold on, hold on. And um, and then all of a sudden, about five seconds later, pick up the phone and it's Khalif. And I said, hey, Khalif, this is Chris Fetters again from Dogman. I, you know, when we talked and uh, I had told your mom I was going to give you a call and, and find out how your meeting was with Coach New Eyes, old Coach Terrell and, and everything else. And he goes, oh, yeah, it was great. And we had a great meeting. And, yeah, I'm, I'm committed to Washington. I'm going to Washington. And I'm doing all. And I said, oh, fantastic. And so I start getting ready and all this stuff. And you kind of hear all this stuff kind of behind the scenes. And initially it, it just didn't sound right. It just really seemed a bit off, but I was kind of caught off guard by the by the the enthusiasm of it all and kind of like, oh, I'm getting caught up in this this breaking story and it's all great. And uh, I'm like, um, Khalif? And he goes, no, nah, man, this is Rick. It's OK. I'll give you Khalif here in a second. Everything's cool. And so he handed the phone off to Khalif. Khalif said, yeah, I'm committed to Washington. Everything's good. So I wrote up the story and whatnot. And I had that tape for years, and now I have no idea where it is. But, yes, I got punked by Rick Neuheisel impersonating Khalif Barnes the night that he committed to Washington. One, one last one last story before we get to the Dogman uh, banquets, and I want to talk about that just for a few minutes uh, before we get going. But um, the one story – the one of the funniest stories, especially in recent years that I can remember, is, um, uh, you know <laughs> – I'm totally drawing a blank on the name now. I totally ha- had it. The small wide receiver who came from Dorsey. Um, Jadon Mickens? Jadon Mickens. Jeez, Louise. Anyway, Jadon Mickens um, grew up a USC fan. Uh, you know, he's right down there in Southern Cal. Huge USC fan. And I, rem- I remember just hearing this story. And, and Jadon was the one who actually told me this story. And basically, he had wanted a USC offer. And the second he got a USC offer, he was going to commit. So he get he's being recruited by all these schools. He's getting offers from from you know Texas uh, Texas A and M. I think offered him Texas Tech, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Washington. All these schools were offering him. But USC is the one that he wanted. So he gets a call from Todd McNair. And first time he'd ever talked to him. And Todd McNair says he was the running backs coach, I think, at uh, USC, but he was the one that handled Dorsey and he was recruiting him. And he basically said, hey, Jadon, this is Todd McNair. We haven't talked yet, but I've been recruiting. I've been, you know, doing a lot of research on you and watching a lot of film on you. And you came up today at our in our recruiting meeting here at USC with Coach Carroll. And we wanted or I. It might have been uh, Lane Kiffin, but whoever it was, he said, we, we wanted to offer you a scholarship to uh, USC. And Jadon was just like, screw you. Like he basically told him to F off and hung up. And back in those days, um, and I think it's still the case now, you can only call a kid like once a day or something like that. And so Todd McNair, who just got hung up on, he's sitting here like, uh, I thought this kid wanted an offer from USC. So he calls the coach, uh, Coach Ivan Stevenson. Do you remember him, Chris? Yeah. He was the one coach who handled Stevenson. the recruiting yeah. at Dorsey. Dorsey. Yeah. yeah, he handled he handled the recruit, and I got to know Coach Stevenson really, really well. And he 
so Tom McNair calls him and says, hey, uh, Jadon just told me to F off. Um, what the hell is going on? And so Coach Stevenson goes, hang by your phone, Coach. I'll I'll get right back with you. He calls Jadon and just lights him up. And Jadon's like, what? What's wrong? And he said, you just told Todd McNair to F off. He, that's the offer you wanted. And Jadon said, no, that wasn't Coach McNair. That was my friend's. He thought it was his friends playing a joke on him. And so he had told Coach McNair to F off. He had to call Coach McNair, tail between his legs, saying, Coach, I'm really sorry. I thought it was my friends messing with me. And Coach McNair understood. They offered him. He accepted an offer. Well, eventually he ended up decommitting from USC. My guess is they kind of were – they kind of pushed him out because they thought they found somebody better. And he ended up at the University of Washington. And he had a really good career here. And He's having a really good career in – I think he's with his, what, fourth team? And he's with Tampa Bay? Like that. Yeah, he's with Tampa yeah. Bay now. Tampa Bay, and he's a punt returner and, and catching some passes from Tom Brady. So um, things worked out for him. But uh, that was another funny story. People don't hear a lot of these behind-the-scenes stories, and we try to bring them to you. But if if uh, if if you guys don't get them, you know, we, we try to relate some of these when we do these kind of podcasts. So real quick, guys, one of the big highlights of, of the recruiting season for everybody, especially back in the day, was when Dogman would host their recruiting banquets. And you guys had them at Emerald Downs, I know, a couple times, right? Yeah. Emerald Downs, Seattle Yacht Club. Um, yeah. That's the one that's right over by UW, right? Yeah. Um, yeah I think, to be honest with you, I think Kim should tell the story about um, about Andy Heater. I think, to me, that's the one that stands out. Of yeah, all you guys actually had about. one of the coaches come and talk at your recruiting banquet. Yeah, Chuck Heater used to come, yeah. Yeah, you could back then, and, you know, you pass it through compliance. You make sure that – because they could talk the day of the signings. And so you'd have the banquet the day of signing day. The night of, yeah. Or the night of, which meant they could talk about these players once, and that was it. So we were able to get, you know, one of the Washington coaches to kind of come and, you know, take their shot and uh, and talk about these guys, which obviously when you're showing the highlight tape of a player and you're getting the breakdown from the coach – it's it's awesome. It's it's absolute nirvana for a recruiting freak. Yeah, Chuck was awesome. I mean, you know, and they got a commitment from his son and he basically said, you know, I broke every rule in the book. I, you know, paid for the kid's lunch. I bought him a car and slept with his mom, you know, so I broke every rule in the book. But uh, we got a hell of a player in Andy Heater. I always liked Andy. Yeah, Andy. no, it was it was great. Yeah. So um, but um, and then I remember we had uh, for a couple years there during the Sark years. We did our recruiting breakfasts um, on signing day. We basically had a big thing up at the Dub Pub there in Kirkland, just down the street from my house nowadays. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there were, those were some really good times. We met a lot of people who, who were, uh, were Husky fans and are members of our site now. Well, things were just different back then. I mean, now you've got Huddle and you've got highlight tapes on, um, you know, online that you can go look at back then. You didn't have them. We would have to, you know, contact high school coaches and parents and recruits and try to get film. And um, then we would put together a highlight film and we'd sell it for like 20 bucks. We wouldn't make any money on it. But, uh, you know, the wildest one. And, yeah, I'm going to I'll just tell you who it was. We're putting together the highlight tape for the banquet that night right and then we're selling the highlight video at the at the banquet for 20 bucks and we pretty much know what was going on in the recruiting class so 
I gave a call to Rick and I said, Rick, I said, I know you can't talk to me about recruiting, but I just need the answer to one thing. I said, we're putting together this highlight tape, right? Because we needed a couple of days notice. And I said, Rick, we've got everybody on it. But the one guy, I'm not sure, do we put him on or not? Do we put Kellen Winslow on the highlight tape or not? And he starts screaming, you put Kellen on that goddamn tape. We're getting Kellen Winslow. He's going to be a Husky. He's yelling and screaming at me. You know, we're getting him. You put him on that tape. And Yeah, Dad said no. So the kid wound he up He wanted to go to UW, right? Oh, yeah. He was Dad crying. said no. Dad he said no way. Yeah. yeah, you have to play for a black coach. Yeah, so if you uh, are one of those who still has that recruiting video out there, you know, Kellen Winslow on it, that's why. <laughs> All right. <laughs> also, we, took, we take a lot of heat for that. We took a lot of heat for having him on there, you know, but, you know, that's why we did it. Hey, should we uh, – to me, I don't – I still don't think we've talked about the greatest – recruiting story in recent memory Um, we've got a couple minutes so we've got a couple minutes well i'm wondering if kim agrees with this to me if you had to boil down the craziest recruiting story for me personally when it comes to guys that washington uh, were recruiting and eventually signed or got to commit to me it's got to be dante nicholson what about you kim well, that was crazy. And then um, also um, Conwell, Ernie's um, nephew, um, I'm trying to, Will Con- Conwell to me was just pretty crazy because the kid was just so confused. He didn't know what to do. So, but I don't remember much about Dante. I like Dante a lot. Well, the story that I remember from Dante Nicholson, and again, since we weren't there, we don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but this was handed down to us by fairly high-level sources that were involved. So I feel pretty good about it. Um, so and, and, I, and I remember that Dante was part of a class. There was also another kid from that class by the name of Dominic Robinson, who was prime time. I mean, that's he, he was the prime time comparison. He ended up signing with Florida State. Well, the, both those guys were getting really, really heavily recruited, but Dante was a guy – who was getting recruited a little bit later. And I don't know if it ended up being academics or what have you, because he ended up having to go to Mount Sac and then eventually signed with Oklahoma. Um, but the it was coming down to the final days of his recruitment, and he was taking last home visits. And Washington and Oregon were the two schools that were heavily involved in kind of this final tete-a-tete. Because, you know, the Oklahomas and whatever, they had not gotten involved until he went to JUCO. But Washington and Oregon were neck and neck to try to get Dante Nicholson's signature. So so what happened was, is that originally it sounds like it was scheduled that Dante had the Oregon coaches in first. And then right after the Oregon coaches left, the Washington coaches were supposed to come in and give their presentation. So... Essentially, what you have is you have a car full of coaches across the street waiting for another group of coaches who are having their in-home visit, waiting for them to get done, watch them get into their car, take off, and then the next group of coaches go in, and then they do their pitch. So, okay, so this is all pretty standard issue. Nothing really weird about it. So the Oregon guys get done. They take off. Washington coaches go in. They present 
their little spiel. They give all the reasons why Dante Nicholson should become a should become a Husky. They're done. They come out. What do they see? They see a car across the street, and it happens to be the Oregon coaches. Well, okay. So the Washington coaches get in their car. They start to take off. The Oregon coaches get out of their car, walk right back into Dante Nicholson's home. And apparently this is what uh, some of the some of the uh, recruiting coordinators would be calling uh, the time where they would hose someone off. They would they would try to take the stink off the last presentation and remind the uh, the recruiting question why they should be going to their school. So Oregon apparently goes back in for a little bit longer, tells Dante Nicholson and his family whatever they need to know. They come back out. Lo and behold, there's another car across the street. It's the Washington coaches. Well, the Oregon coaches get back in their car. They take off. The Washington coaches get out of their car, and they go right back in, and they talk to Dante Nicholson again. And if I remember correctly, didn't Dante Nicholson sign originally with Washington out of high school? Signed with Washington, didn't qualify. Yeah, he didn't qualify, but uh, apparently Washington won that particular recruiting battle, and maybe that was the first of – many that we've seen over the years between the two schools. But that to me was one of those ones where it's kind of like, okay, cool. It's the wild West all over again and uh, everything goes and it's honor among thieves. And uh, you hear all those stories about back in the day when Don James and, um, and um, coach price from Washington state, they'd get together in some bar in Ellensburg or Walla Walla or Spokane or wherever and they'd kind of have a little meeting of the minds and kind of set the table in terms of the state and how their coaches were going to going to react and how they should respond with recruiting yep. stuff. And, you know, the, the, this is this has been going on for a long time, guys. And right. um, it's been it's been a very, very interesting process to follow. All right. Well, hey, guys, we're we're right on it and uh, want to wrap this up. But thanks, guys, for for taking the time to kind of give some people the history of dogman.com and some of the crazy things you two have seen uh, during the process and allowing me to also share some of my things. Um, We're going to be covering recruiting all the rest of this week. We're covering it all the way up until Wednesday when all the players sign their letters of intent. Uh, We're expecting all of Washington's commits currently, and there's always that possibility that one more guy could flip. We're hearing some rumors about someone possibly flipping to the University of Washington, although it hasn't, uh, to our knowledge, been made public at this point in time. So um, up until then, um, we're just going to be covering 2021, guys. But then on Thursday and Friday, I'll be previewing 2022 and possibly even some 2023 prospects that Washington is is taking a look at and what people can look for not only in the state of Washington but also the landscape of of what things look like um, I'm also going to have a um, a recruiting podcast with Brandon Huffman for uh, signing day that's something you guys want to look out for Brandon and I are going to go through each of the players that Washington ends up signing in this class and going through all of the stuff that that happened uh, through the recruiting process in another podcast. So thanks for listening. For Kim Grinolds, Chris Fetters, I'm Scott Eklund. Go dogs.